Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. Before we jump into the show, I want to let you know that my signature course, Brand Strategy 101, is now open for enrollment inside the Brand Design Masters Academy. This is a foundational course for creative professionals and entrepreneurs who want to get started with brand strategy so you can sell bigger projects, increase your fees for the creative work you already do, and get paid for the thinking and advice you've probably been given away for free. The moment you enroll, you get immediate lifetime access to seven modules of training with over eight hours of instructional videos, 25 lessons in all, plus 24 downloadable strategy tools and conversation guides. In Brand Strategy 101, I've taken complex strategic methodologies used by the world's most respected global branding agencies and crafted them into a deceptively simple turnkey process and toolkit that you can use with your clients, even if you've never done brand strategy before or don't know where to start. Brand Strategy 101 draws from my 25 years of experience working with clients ranging from entrepreneurs to small to medium-sized businesses all the way up to the Fortune 100. So if you're ready to up your game and bulletproof your career and protect your business from the downward pricing pressure of sites like Fiverr and Upwork, then Brand Strategy 101 is the place to start. Just go to philipvandusen.com BS101 and enroll in Brand Strategy 101 today. Again, just go to philipvandusen.com BS101 and enroll now. Hey everyone, just a heads up that in this episode, my interview with Bob Gentle, there was a minor tech snafu with the compression settings on my microphone. So the quality of my vocal audio isn't up to its usual standards. It's totally listenable and maybe you won't even notice, but I'm a stickler for audio generally and I wanted to let you know that we did everything that we could to clean it up. So with that said, let's get on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Brand Design Masters Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Van Dusen, and today I'm super excited because I am here with Bob Gentle. Bob is the owner and managing director of Amplify, a company that helps business leaders around the world deliver, set, and achieve their goals online and build a business they love. He's the host of the Amplify Podcast and the leader of the Amplify Accelerator Group, his personal and business brand community. He's also got a great YouTube channel that you can find at Bob Gentle, obviously, on YouTube. And you'll hear in just a second that Bob has the best late night radio FM DJ voice in the solopreneurial personal branding industry. And uh, with that, I welcome Bob. Thank you very much for having me. It's a funny thing with my voice. Until I started a podcast, I'm a similar age to you, Philip. So for most of my life, nobody ever mentioned my voice, not once. And then I started podcasting and suddenly I get these comments all the time and I think, what the hell? Yeah, it's really interesting. But yeah, the late night DJ of personal branding is probably my space. I would love to be your sound tech who gets to EQ your voice. Actually, that would be super fun. (laughs) So Bob, so we know each other from a previous group mastermind that we were both members of a number of years ago. And then we both kind of expanded, grew and graduated out of that and kind of started doing our own versions of that over time. But why don't you just explain a little bit to our listeners what it is you do as your core business and then how that kind of expands or grows into your, your personal brand work. So I drifted until the internet came along. So I really didn't have a home, vocationally speaking, until the internet stumbled into my world. And that was in the days of AOL and CompuServe. I don't know if you remember those two bad boys, but for the kids listening, that's where the internet 
came from, essentially. Yeah, CD-ROM that you got in the mail. Floppy disk. Oh, yeah. Three, three and a quarter inch floppy disk. I still have a USB floppy drive. It's really cool. And a disk to go with it. I have a spreadsheet on it. So this would have been just before 2000. I came across the internet and that for me was home. I really discovered my vocation there. So since then, my job is to help people connect with the people they need online specifically. So for most of that period, I was running what you and I would call a creative agency, web design agency. And I realized maybe five or six years ago that that had become a bit of a rut for me, that it's this whole thing of you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. And I got into website design because it was essentially was the web back in the day. There wasn't anything else. There was no social media. There wasn't really any email marketing. It was essentially, if you want to contribute to somebody's business using technology, it's a website. And I got a large business around this and became quite well known at it. But commercially, it wasn't really doing very much for me. And I remember looking at my business one day and we had essentially a website design development division and we had a digital marketing division that was blossoming. And that was where I really enjoyed operating. And it seemed to be no matter how much I worked, I was never making any more money than I did before, which for me was quite demoralizing. It kind of impacted my sense of self-worth. And one day I just had enough. It wasn't cricket anymore. I had the website design and development team that become the tail that was wagging the dog. And we kept losing customers on the digital marketing side of things because my attention kept getting sort of brought back to deal with this monster in the development team. And then one day I read Profit First, which was Mike Michalowicz's book. I don't know if your readers have read it. If you haven't read it, the subtext of this book is how to turn your business from a cash-eating monster into a money-making machine. And I got into chapter two. I lost my temper, threw the book across the office, and I'm not an angry person. And then I forgot about it for a little while. I made some big decisions that day, and I closed essentially the website design side of the business to focus on the digital marketing side. But essentially, my business from that point moved very quickly. So now my business is entirely focused around helping people on the one hand with marketing, content marketing, particularly around the personal brand business owner, so the solopreneur, the person who wants to step out in front of their marketing instead of hiding behind the logo. So for those people, I'm part strategic advisor, part coach, part technical support a lot of the time. It's as much mindset as it is marketing. That's really what I'm doing now. In terms of done-for-you service, I have a tiny, tiny slice of that left. Most of my time is really spent rather in consulting and coaching and advising. And I work with all kinds of businesses from the very smallest through to some big corporate consulting. So that's the whistle-stop tour. So explain what your brand ecosystem looks like in terms of your website, your social media presence. You know, I know you have a Facebook group, you have a paid community. What is the scope of that right now? The scope of that is actually, it's kind of big. So I have the podcast, The Personal Brand Entrepreneur Show. I have my YouTube channel, you mentioned Bob Gentle. So those are really the two places where I build what I would call platform. Those are the two places where I'm creating content. You can discover me. And if you do discover me, you can spend time there and get to know me. I also create content on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. But really that's super short form. Might be posting a picture with a little bit of text. It might be posting a short video. I'm quite prolific on those platforms. The difference between the YouTube and podcast content and social media content is social media content is great for discovery, but it's terrible for depth. And the mistake a lot of people make is they focus on the, the discovery. But what happens when people discover them is there's no place to spend time. So that's why for me, YouTube 
and podcasts are great. If people do discover me through any of that content, you mentioned the Facebook group, so they can come and become part of my gang, so to speak. They can hang out in the Facebook group. And that's great because it allows me to be helpful. And like you, there's this whole philosophy of serve first, sell later. I would far rather people bought into me before they bought from me. And everything I've just described gives them a route to come in close. And then alongside that, I create what you might call, what's the word for this? It's rather a, a brutal name for something that I think is quite high value, which is a conversion event. So the point at which I'll make people offers. So if you've discovered me anywhere from time to time, I'm going to host a little event where I'll say, hey, come in close. We'll have a huddle. I'll teach you something, tell you something great. And at the end of it, I'll make you an offer. So that might be webinars, masterclasses, all of that kind of thing. Alongside that, I have a weekly newsletter, The Amplifier, which you can get either by heading to my website, which you mentioned, amplifyme.agency, or it's also available exactly the same content as a LinkedIn newsletter. And I think that's everything. Your newsletter that you publish to your email list and also on LinkedIn, when you sign up for a newsletter on LinkedIn, you get that in email too. So to a certain extent, people are going to get it twice from you, or you may have audience members who've signed up for LinkedIn delivery of your newsletter, but they're not on your email list. So what kind of either learnings have you had from duplicating that content on LinkedIn do you realize or think that you have expanded your audience or your exposure from people who are just subscribing, not actually on your email list? I think if I look at where those two lists came from, so my email list is hard one over years of people who I don't necessarily know through LinkedIn, whereas my LinkedIn network is largely people I've met over the last decade. So they're not firewalled, but they are quite different audiences. I'm not really worrying too much about the doubling up because you know yourself, open rates are pretty terrible. It's simply increasing the odds that somebody might open the email. And if somebody is super fan enough that they open every email, they're not going to complain and they can easily unsubscribe from one or the other. So my philosophy is goal number one is if somebody sees my name in the inbox, they'll remember me. So if they never open the email, I've won already. And the next level is I'm really deliberate with applying the 80-20 rule to my email marketing you will rarely see me asking for anything. It's going to be essentially a digest of the content that I've created, sort of segmented down. I might recommend a product. I might sort of recommend a colleague or a friend's content, but I'm going to be leading with value. I'm not very often going to ask for anything. So the sentiments of the recipient is managed. They're not opening my email and going, oh, there he is selling again. I'll never sell in an email unless it's to invite you to an event because that's where I'll make an offer. Does that make sense? Totally. I completely understand. And I completely understand because in a lot of ways, we do a lot of the same things. One of the things we were talking about just before we hit record, which I'd love to kind of recover that ground a little bit for everybody listening. You are an agency person and now have kind of evolved into something. I have an agency where I do do branding and design and strategy for clients, but I also have a community. So I kind of have two major arms in my octopus. But we were talking about how as you grow a personal brand, as you grow an agency, especially if it revolves around content marketing, that over time you develop a very complex multi-armed octopus that has a lot of things going on at the same time. And like an octopus to an extent, the arms have their own brains and do their own things. And so over time, it gets to be pretty unruly and you start to question whether all of these arms are doing things of value or whether they are just sucking energy from the octopus. And so talk about the time when you were 
assessing your agency and how much it was contributing to your business and how you rationalized what you did as that evolved? I would say a lot of people's businesses, they're not really grown by design. And again, a lot of people, when they first decided to go into business for themselves, they did so with the idea of a destination in mind. This is what I want to build. This is where I want to get. Problem is they don't really adapt that as they grow. And what I find really useful is to revisit your vision on a regular basis. Um, one of the things that I'm very mindful of is where's a better place to start with this? So when I had this sort of what I'll call the moment of crisis in my agency, it was because I came to the realization that I'd achieved my original vision a long time ago, but then I got complacent and settled into that. And I was trying to push beyond it, but without a new vision. So having this really clear vision of where you want to go, what you want to achieve, who you want to become, essentially, allows you to make different choices. So let's say you're somebody who's selling $5,000 websites. If the vision that you have for yourself isn't of somebody that sells $5,000 websites, what are you going to have to start doing? And what does the person that you imagine being do that's different? And then start sort of slipping in behind and operating from that reality. So in that particular situation, the vision that I had for myself was no longer of Wee Bob who runs a local web design company, but it was Bob Gentle who wants to make a bigger contribution in the world, who wants to help people grow into bigger versions of themselves and then connect that with the people that need it. That's no longer talking about marketing. That's really talking about the personal transformation space. Yeah, like self-discovery, really. Yeah. So that guy isn't selling 5,000 pound websites anymore. So what is he doing? He's creating content. He's serving through leadership, showing people what to do, not just telling them what to do. So I have to be different. I have to do things that scare me. I have to show people me doing things that scare me. Alongside that, what I knew was that if I did it, I would have new opportunities. I would have new choices that I could make. I would have new revenue streams open their doors to me, which were closed in that previous reality. So when you operate from that bigger vision and you get to choose who that is, engage in a little bit of fantasy. See, if I could do anything I wanted in the world, and for me in 2000, I wanted to build a website design company that delivered me a great living so I could bring up my kids. That was no longer the vision. So I needed to create a new vision. And then out of vision comes projects and out of projects come tasks and out of tasks come a day's work. I don't know if I'm answering your question properly. No, you are. The next question I have for you really is, when you are rationalizing your business and trying to make those determinations around who you currently are, who you may want to be, I know that just like businesses that need branding or brand strategy, they need an external perspective, someone to come in with fresh eyes and share with them what their competition's doing, what they're doing, what they are succeeding at, what they look like they're falling down on. So when you were doing that for your business, we did both belong to a fairly decent-sized mastermind community for a period of time, which I know transformed both of our businesses to an extent. But apart from that, have you hired a coach? Have you taken part in peer mastermind groups? How do you get that additional perspective? Because these decisions that we're talking about are big, scary decisions. I mean, I don't want to soft pedal that at all when you're saying, hey, I got this big, successful web design agency that I'm thinking of shutting down because it's not serving me the way that it used to. Or I am envisioning myself as this other sort of person. A, where did you get that additional perspective to help you make those decisions? And B, what scared you? The first thing I'll say is none of this happens overnight. There's a process that begins once the vision is there and you spend a lot of time 
cultivating it, growing it, focusing on it, there's a gradual shift towards it that happened. I didn't shut everything down one night. The way that change actually happened was I told the designers and developers, well, this is unsustainable. So what I'm going to do is you guys are going to be contractors. You give me a fixed price. I give the client a fixed price and we're all happy. And I did that probably for about a year. But what happened was the other side of the business was more profitable. It got more attention. And gradually over the course of about a year, I realized it wasn't a case of even a realization. It was just I didn't need to pay the people if I didn't have the work. So there was no pressure on me to get the work in anymore. So, and my attention was elsewhere. That work gradually tailed off as other work that I was more interested in slowly wrapped up. So nobody makes these changes overnight. It would be dangerous for a business. But having that clear vision allows you to slowly turn that oil tanker, but to do it consistently. The other side of that is if you don't change what you're doing, nothing will change. So for me, it was a case of I know where I want to get. I'm going to protect time for that because here's the thing. Everybody, and especially if you're working in a creative agency or a creative business, you're largely in the business of trading time for money. You have a few levers that you can pull commercially, but not as many as you could have with maybe a different vision, a different conversation. But protecting some time for the things that are important, but not necessarily urgent. We're in the, the business of putting fires out in the creative space a lot of the time. The clients that shout loudest get first. Most people are too busy. And the problem with people are who are too busy is they'll always do the things that other people tell them are important rather than the things that move the dial in your business. So protect time for the things that will move you forward rather than just keep you standing still, but not on fire. For me, having fellow travelers, I'll call them, has been fundamentally important. A lot of the creative industry is very competitive. So we don't spend time talking to our peers, to our colleagues, unless they're in the same business as us. And even then, creatives working within the same agency are often in competition with each other if their business has been badly built. So for me, when I closed down that website of the business, everything that was left was recurring revenue. So I didn't need any new customers really. I just needed to keep what I had. And that allowed me to be in a very different mental state from a competition perspective. So that was also a pivotal time for me because I did intentionally go out looking for peers and people to spend time with fellow travelers, I'll call them. And that's when we met. And from that day on, masterminds have been very important for me. I'm in two peer masterminds and I wouldn't say I've picked them, but I've been very involved in how they're put together. And for me, that's been fantastic. But I think raising yourself out of just because everybody else has done it this way, and this is the way I assume I know your audience is largely in the creative space. This is the way agencies are built. There are so many other ways that you can generate revenue from your creative abilities. And maybe that's where we go next. In the conversation or that's where we go next in our businesses? Well, both perhaps. Here's the thing. Everybody makes assumptions about what their value is, especially if you've grown up in the job market. You grow up assuming you're a commodity that is based on what these hands can do and your creative abilities and your talents with whatever software package it is you're good at. But there are so many other values that people have that people will pay for that, again, if you're spending all your time putting fires out, you'll never spend time reflecting on. Certainly for me, it's been a difficult transition away from done-for-you service, but I'm no genius. There are lots of people who could do what I do better than I do, but they don't do it. That's the thing. When I speak to lots of my role models, it's very unusual for them to have more than 10 or 15 revenue streams. You're probably quite similar. Back in the day, you got paid for doing one or two things. Now, because you built your audience, you serve an audience, you're out there trying to teach, 
that doesn't necessarily directly monetize, but it does bring all kinds of opportunities to monetize that if you don't do that, you don't have. Your options are very limited if you don't do that. One of the things that you said that I just, I quickly wrote down because I thought it was a great little verbatim was that if your business is built badly, you find yourself amongst a whole lot of competition. Talk about that a little bit in terms of helping people build businesses that they built well enough that their competition is not as critical to pay attention to. I had a client that was a small local web design agency in the northeast of Scotland. It's And this is part of Scotland's almost the equivalent in the US would be Nome in Alaska. But they had a big dream. They wanted to move to California, but they didn't just want to move to California. They wanted to move to California with ready-made clients, a sustainable business. They wanted to be really well-known in their industry and they wanted to have high-paying clients. Now, that's a big ask. So we developed a strategy for them where they would put together a YouTube channel. They would talk about what they did. They would, alongside that, do some quite diligent local, not local networking. They would go to a few conferences and build the seeds of a network. So I didn't think this would work, to be honest. The beginning of this year, they moved to California. They have a very successful agency. They picked one niche within the design space and in the web space in particular, where they are now amongst the best known in the world because they talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. They served an audience, they built an audience, they built connections with the people who make that particular web platform, which I won't name. And that aggregated up to the point where it was a huge shift. And it's really just focusing on these ninja points of transformation. I mean, I would have said that was impossible, but they pulled the YouTube channel off brilliantly. They niched brilliantly. They networked brilliantly. And now their life is completely different. So from a creative agency perspective, they're still trading time for money, but they're trading much more money for the same time. They're in demand. They have a huge waiting list and they now have the business of their dreams, which they just didn't before. So this is one small example, I guess. This episode of the Brand Design Masters podcast is sponsored by Bring Your Own Laptop. BYOL.me is a top-tier Adobe application video training website featuring Daniel Scott. Daniel's a certified Adobe trainer and keynote speaker at the Adobe Max conference every year. At BYOL.me forward slash Philip, you can learn everything from the basics to advanced aspects of your favorite Adobe applications, all for one low monthly subscription fee. Visit byol.me forward slash Philip, P-H-I-L-I-P. Again, that's byol.me forward slash Philip. I just know you're going to be amazed at Bring Your Own Laptops courses. So we saw each other recently in person, uh, social media marketing world out in San Diego, which was great. It was great to see you again after years, obviously, of being separated from everybody in the pandemic. Social media marketing world up into a number of years, and it was obviously markedly smaller because the world was just opening up because of COVID. So instead of the usual 5,000 people there, there were maybe two. And, uh, but that, yeah, thousands, right. Not just <laughs> you and me. <laughs> yeah, 2,000. But one of the things that, that, a couple of things that they were talking about there, which I'd love to get your perspective on, was the whole Web3 thing that's happening. And then there were a lot of presentations on NFTs and crypto. And obviously Web3 is kind of how all those things are married or tied together and how it's going to change the paradigm of the web, theoretically. I'd love to get your perspective on what it is that you heard out there that you 
feel has some stickiness to it or what might be fluff? Well, I'll tell you a secret. I didn't really go to very many talks because I was having too much fun meeting people and the talks are all available to me online. So I haven't really bothered with the NFT talks. My perspective is this. Web3, on the one hand, is really, really important. On the other hand, doesn't really exist. Web3 is a jargon wrapper that people are using to talk about a lot of different things, but essentially virtualization, blockchains, and the democratization of data is how I would wrap that up. From a technical perspective, from a creative perspective, it's business as usual. It's just a a few different canvases, a few different tech tools to play with. So yes, if you're a creative person and you want to get into something new and make some money or build a niche, you can do that in these different spaces, we'll call it. What I take from it is we're not going to be able to target people the way that we used to because of the democratization of data. Organizations are in danger of becoming even more remote from their customers and from their audiences because they can't target the way they used to. But also, everybody's talking about building avatars and virtual spaces. And we're also looking at automation and chatbots and artificial intelligence. The people are slowly being stripped out of it. So knowing that this is the case, I think the huge opportunity is to keep pace with all of that with intimacy and with availability and with leadership. And I think particularly for larger organizations, if you're going to have Web3 and you're going to have virtualization, you have to, in the other hand, make equal efforts to remain connected. And I see this is actually the bigger opportunity because everybody else is going one way. And I personally feel that the people who lean into their visibility, and I I mean this not just from the perspective of people like me, but the momentum is all going towards virtual. And so that's become the line of least resistance. That's where everybody's going to go. Everybody's going to say, oh, thank goodness, I don't have to be a human being anymore. I can just have a virtual avatar or I can have an artificial intelligence character read the words that I type on my computer. That's going to be easy and it's going to become done all the time. All the people that have avoided social media or building their personal brand, they have an excuse now, a legitimacy. They don't have to do it because the software will do it for them. For those people who are willing to do it, they're willing to teach what they know, serve an audience, build an audience, the world becomes theirs. And that's equally true for the big corporations. If you could pick two organizations, one invests in a virtual environment and they NFT their ass off their business, and you have another organization that's doing exactly the same, but they have a visible charismatic leader who's there teaching what he knows, showing that he cares, that company's going to win. So that is my perspective as a non-traditional perspective on Web3. The whole zeitgeist, the selling point behind Web3, which is everyone, especially the marketing and tech worlds, love a new rallying cry, something that's gigantic, but absolutely new, and it's going to change everything. And so it makes for great articles, and you have a new hashtag to use, and everyone tries to duct tape on their particular new thing to this larger umbrella. And so a lot of what I've heard talked about is that Before, as you said, in the very early days, we had websites and they were basically digital business cards that you could go out and find, but there was nothing that linked them all together. And then we had social and we have the Facebooks and the Twitters and YouTube, all the gigantic platforms, which essentially big business was now controlling our neighborhoods. And so the way I hear a lot of people talking about Web3 is that it's going to re-democratize the web and the fact that communities are going to proliferate and get much smaller and much more user-controlled rather than big business-controlled. 
But what you were just saying, I think is really, really important, which is that you have to focus on your own personal visibility. Because think about it this way. If not everybody is going and showing up and you can find all of your friends and all the businesses and everyone you know on Facebook or on Twitter or on YouTube, and they are now spread across 40 virtual communities that are all gated by NFTs or crypto passes, how are you going to show up in so many places? How are you going to be visible? And so I think that the point that you made is really critical, which is all about delivering value and being as visible as you can so you can be seen, recognized, known as the web fractures from five major social platforms into what will be 150, 200, 4,000 social neighborhoods that are all gated communities. I personally don't see that happening. I think it's a nice idea, but the truth is people want to go where the party is, essentially. That's why Facebook exists. And that's why we have these trends of different social medias sort of washing in and out with the tide. We only have an appetite for so many tides. Right now, TikTok is having its moment. It will probably have its moment for the next five years. If something's gated, I can't discover you if it's gated. It's not a discovery point. And I can't try you before I buy in a gated community. So places like YouTube, podcast, I don't see them going away. YouTube is in its infancy of what it's going to become. YouTube is still growing faster than anything else. I can't get to know you on Discord. I can get to know your posts, but I can't see you. I can't have a conversation with you, really. I can't see the whites of your eyes. In this format that we're talking just now, I can get a sense for who you are and see, to an extent, into your soul, would be how I would put it. You can't do that on Discord. You can't do that in virtual reality. Being able to see the whites of somebody's eyes, what's their vibe? How can you do that with Web3? I mean, when I look at Mark Zuckerberg's avatars, they're all from the waist up. I mean, you don't even see people's legs. It's like, talk about a disembodied personality. I mean, it's very hard to connect. And I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you that people want to go where the party is. How somebody screws up is really their signature. Oh, yeah. It's our authenticity. It's our vulnerability. I mean, that's what makes us human. That's why no one likes someone who's too polished or too perfect. And that's why people even gravitate towards celebrity faux pas or fails is because we want to see these polished people be human. And it brings them down a peg, not that we want to be you know, mean about it, but it humanizes people. And I think that that's what is what makes us human, makes us approachable. Fascinating conversation. What are some of the recent challenges that you have had to face and then what are you doing to overcome them? Because it's great to talk about how big and successful our communities are, but let's be human. Let's be vulnerable. What's been an uphill battle for you recently? For me, if you're not battling, you're not trying. If you're not growing, essentially you're dying. One of the two. So I've got lots of things I struggle with. For me, video has been so hard. Visibility full stop has been really, really hard. I remember when I started the podcast, I couldn't bear the sound of my own voice. I just hated it. And it took me about a year to get over that. On video, I couldn't bear how I looked. I was always trying to polish it. I was never happy with it. And now I kind of like it. My next barrier is, okay, I'm starting to cut through. People kind of know who I am in the industry. But that gives me another problem is if I was to, for example, be asked to go and stand on a stage at Social Media Marketing World, which the biggest conference I've ever been to, what would I talk about? That becomes a real issue for me. If people meet me, what do I want to be defined by? What would I want them to take away? And it's not marketing and it's not personal branding. So what's left? 
So that for me is right now is the bigger issue is how do I sort of niche into my thing? What's the thing I would want to be known for in 20 years time? Resetting my vision, essentially. Do you get perspective on that from your mastermind or do you do self-discovery work in order to kind of get to that kernel of the new idea? Both. I would never bring anything to a mastermind until I'd done a little bit of work on it. But other people are a very good mirror, especially people who are kind of on the same journey as you. And a question that I asked in the mastermind recently, because it was my hot seat. If you've ever been in a mastermind, often somebody has the hot seat. So my question was, what's one thing that if we were in the bar and we'd be in there for a long evening, you would slap me in the face and say, Bob, you have to stop doing this. And alongside that, what's one thing that I do better than anything and anyone in the world? And that question, when I asked it, it's often thinking, what is the one question right now that if I knew the answer would help me move forwards? The process of coming up with that question is often illuminating enough. But the positivity that came back around those questions and specifically where they came around was really just a confirmation that I was on the right track. So I can't remember what the question was. I hope I answered it. You did. It was about how do you get perspective on that next step, that self-discovery? Do you get it through others or do you find it within yourself? Well, I'm working on something at the moment. In fact, I should come back. So you asked me about what I find difficult. And I remember when I was really struggling with video content, I was thinking, why do I find this so difficult? Now, not a lot of people know that I worked for 10 years in search and rescue. I didn't know that. Wow. And I was also an army reservist for quite a while. And I've done some things that would terrify a lot of people. I remember one day arriving on a beach in the middle of the night, and I could hear screaming from every direction. And there were about 10 people drowning in the dark. Another night was the middle of a flood. And there was a raging river on my right-hand side, giant whirlpool on the left. And I had to swim between the two into somebody's house. How do you learn how to do that kind of thing without freaking out? And it was just a gradual process of assimilation, of desensitization and training and practice. So I thought, okay, you can do all of that stuff. Why do you find video so hard? So I just sort of came up with the process of gradually desensitizing myself to it. So it starts off with just sending a video message to somebody, even seeing yourself on camera, painful. So you need to do that again and again and again. And that desensitization over time is really how you learn to do anything scary. I think that is the wildest story I've ever heard on my podcast, Bob. The fact that you were arriving in the middle of the night in the dark on a beach and there were 10 people around you screaming from help in the surf. And then you were saying that you were scared of being on YouTube. <laughs> I just think that, <laughs> that to me is just like so perfect. And the other thing you said, and I just have to capture this phrase, and I had to swim into their house. Like, that's not a phrase you hear every day, swimming into somebody's house. And I just thought, oh my God, that is so perfect. But really, when it comes down to it, YouTube is literally that terrifying. I've been there. I know it is. You really have to kind of desensitize yourself to that platform or podcasting or sending out email newsletters or any of that stuff that's new and difficult and exposing and scary. And so I just, <laughs> I just love that analogy. That was just the most awesome story, Bob. So where I'm coming from now is something that really, really bugged me. And this is why that is an appropriate place to start. In my own podcast, I interview amazing people every single week. And what became more and more obvious over the years was we all have access to the same information. So why don't we all see the same success? If I have access to the same information as Tony Robbins or Bill Gates, why am I not Tony Robbins or Bill Gates? It makes no sense. And it's because they also didn't come into the world fully formed 
there was a process of becoming that person. And so I spent a bit of time working out a framework for that becoming. Because the problem is, you can walk into any bookshop and you just see a wall of self-help books or business books telling, and, and they're all basically telling you one little slice of personal transformation. Where are you supposed to go? So looking at a framework for personal transformation in particular that really supports the personal brand business owner. So it's not just about what you do, but it's about how you intentionally become the person that achieves what it is you set out in your vision. So it's really looking at seven key areas, sort of the ability to have a clear vision and a fantasy or that kind of stuff, then cultivating a bit of discipline and productivity, then looking at your ability to network and exist within a community. So it's the one person and the many. Then you know, your audience has lots of creativity and imagination, but they might not have the discipline. They might not have the confidence. So the next one is looking at mindset and positivity and mindfulness. Then we're looking at confidence on the one hand and, and swagger, more importantly, because you can have confidence, but if you're not actually using it, or you might have no confidence, but maybe you need to pretend you do. And then actually knowledge and understanding is lifelong learning. And these seven characteristics, they can all be cultivated, but most people kind of just assume that they are who they are. And that isn't the case. It doesn't have to be the case. You can polish some of these aspects. And that, for me, was the answer to the question. If I was to be on the stage, what would I want to talk about? It's this particular process. Because for me, knowing what to do is one thing. Actually doing it is a completely different thing. For most people, that's the harder thing. Yeah, totally agree. Bob, I could talk to you all day, but we're going to have to wrap it up. And I always wrap things up with the rapid fire 10 rounds. I'm going to ask you 10 quick questions and you give me short answers for them. Okay. Rapid fire. Okay. Number one, what's your spirit animal? A bee. Morning person or night person? Morning person. Beach or mountains? Beach. Dog person or cat person? Dog. What's your secret talent that most people don't think that you can do besides swimming into someone's house? I, I can do tons and tons of push-ups. Okay. I, I had a push-up competition against an SAS soldier and won. That's, that's amazing. Um, favorite song of all time? John Denver, Take Me Home Country Road. All right. Beautiful. Favorite place in the world? Scotland, obviously. What's the one thing that you would love to master? Knowing myself. Okay. Who's your hero? I'm going to say Gandhi. And what's the one thing that you would tell your 20-year-old self? Bet on yourself. Nice. And there's bonus number 11, which is the big question, which is, do you have a personal mantra or some sort of manifesto that you live your life by? I don't, but there's a moment that I always go to as the place I'm coming from. Have you ever seen the film Tomorrowland, A World Beyond? No. You go and watch that film, the feeling okay. that you have when you watch that film is what gets me up in the morning. Okay. I will definitely check that film out. So Bob General, thank you so much for coming in and join us. And so where can people engage with you? Where should they amplify and what's the best way to get in touch? So you will find me on every social media platform. Just look for at Bob Gentle. I'm really easy to find. I love YouTube subscribers. They make my day because honestly, you're probably past caring about YouTube subscribers now, but for no, me, I'm not. every single one counts. No, they all count. And my podcast, you can spend time with me there every week, meeting amazing people like Philip. Just search again, Bob Gentle in your podcast player is super easy to find. And I would welcome everyone. Awesome. Well, Bob, thank you for coming on Brand Design Masters podcast and speaking to us. And uh, we hope to have you on again really soon. It has been my pleasure. And thank you so much for making space for me. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. 
If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the Brand Muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand, and business. That's philipvandusen.com slash muse, M-U-S-E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.